0: We'll All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, lesson 16. Yep, we are in the historical books. Probably what makes it historical is this painting. You know, we love Mindy, my cousin Mindy Oten I love her paintings, and this one is absolutely incredible. I just don't like looking at it. We give Mindy's painting a hard time, but it's really real. It's actually one of the more accurate ones that just is like, whoa, that's so alive and real. Now, when we talk about these heroes, these deliverers, these judges that come in. Don't think these judges are coming in and like, you know, hammering in and saying, you guys are done, enough with you, off with their heads. Like that that's not the judges that God's bringing in. He's bringing them in almost as a savior, you know, like a a, a foreshadow of, of the Messiah, because God's going to use these people to point people back to the Lord. that That's what we're after. That's what we're looking at. And uh, one of our original people that we find in the book of Judges. And it's, he's kind of a classic. It's good old Gideon. And what I love about good old Gideon is that he, he does it. He actually does what God's doing. Now, despite his emotions and his reactions, guess what? He still does it. Despite the even whining in his head or complaining, he still does it. And that's the beauty of the story of good old Gideon. And Go to, go to Judges 7, verse 1, if you would, Kevin. Judges 7, verse 1. What you're going to see in the first eight verses, and, and wheresby does a real simple three-point outline that I think is really helpful for all of us, is that what you're going to see is, is that God is going to test our faith. God tests our faith. He loves to test our faith. Are you guys for real or not? Are you really in this or not? And that's what you're going to see in the first eight verses. In verse 1, it says, Jerubbaal. I always say that wrong, Jerubbaal. this guy's name, Jerubbaal. <laughs> that is good old Gideon. And everyone who was with him, guess what happened? They got up early and they camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them below the hill of Mora in the valley. Okay, so he knows he's being asked, right, to walk into this scenario. And it says in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you. So this battle, you got too many soldiers. Or else, Israel might break. Ah, I did it myself. I'm thinking, if I'm getting, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to brag. I'm just going to be like, praise God, nobody chopped my head off. But the reality is, is that God continues to point to say, guys, I don't want this. I don't want there to be any chance that you could claim this for yourself. In fact, Kevin, if you would, would you go to 2 Corinthians 12, 9? I mean, this is the posture that God wants us to be. You know what that posture is? Utter dependence upon Him. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. I love this. Therefore, I'll most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. In our weakness in saying, Whoa, I can't do this. He says, Good, I can. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants with Gideon. That's what he wants with all of us as followers of Yeshua. And so just to make sure that Gideon doesn't even have a chance of claiming victory. I'm going I'm to take away some of your, your buddies, your soldier buddies. And so in verse 3, it says this, Now I announce in the presence of the people, whoever is fearful, <laughs> this is awesome, whoever's chicken, whoever has no desire to see a sword come to your ear, your throat, or your body, if any of you is afraid of dying, you can go ahead and turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Okay. It's like the initial... Uh, set up for deserting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, but it's it's like a free pass. You imagine going to war, flying overseas for the U.S. Army, and as soon as you get there, you're like, "Hey, I know these guys are pretty bad. Anybody not want to fight? Yeah, I'm out of here." And in fact, twenty <laughs> twenty two thousand of the people turn back, but ten thousand remain. So they have thirty two thousand soldiers. And 22,000, Sean, you're pretty good at math. What percentage is that? i say about two thirds. Two thirds of the army that Gideon is with just totally bailed. And so what you see in these first three verses is is what one commentator says. This is the sifting. The first sifting. Now there's two. (laughs) This is only the first sifting. This is the first sifting of like 20. Can you imagine how depressing it would be to see 22,000 people leave? Now watch this. If we go into verse four. You're going to see the second the second sifting take place. Now can I, I'm just going to cheat. Can you go to Judges eight verse ten? Okay, Judges eight verse ten. Totally cheating here. Going to way past the end of the story here. Look look how many look how many soldiers were here. Now Zeba and Zalma were in Karka, and with them was the army of about fifteen thousand, and who are all those left of the entire army of the Kodamites, and those who had been killed were a hundred twenty thousand warriors. So. They're going to fight 135,000 men. You guys get this? And they just lost 22,000 of their best guys. So now we're looking at the odds of 10,000 versus... Kevin, how many? 32. Uh, t- t- this one? Yeah, this one. 35. 135. Just for fun. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how, how, how it looks like in testing your faith. 32,000 minus... 22,000 is 10,000 soldiers and one Gideon. And then over here, you have, oh yeah, what does this say? 15,000. And I, I get it. This is the death toll here, but 125. And, and we're adding soldiers, actually, to this one. And so your enemy is, you're going to be facing 135,000, let's just put it this way, enemies. Oh, this is the best test ever. God tests our faith. Um, at one point, these guys might be actually going to the bathroom in their pants. Spoiler alert, it doesn't get better. Or what? Spoiler alert, it doesn't get better. It, it doesn't. I do want to say this. In, in the battle, we have to understand one thing. And I love this quote by Enrig, okay? Enrig says this, talking about understanding warfare. Okay? God doesn't want to just to give us victory. Well, that's apparent. He is concerned with teaching us trust. In fact, our victories must make us self uh, in fact our victories make us self-reliant if they make us self-reliant. Let me just say that they are ultimately more disastrous than defeat. and so what we're trying to show is in, in God testing our our faith in him, you know he's really just saying, "Do you trust me? Do you trust me as the numbers get smaller when life actually looks really really good?" tough right now. I, I guarantee you, somebody listening to this, watching this, your marriage is really hard right now. I promise you, somebody watching this, like in your job situation, like somebody is really, really rough on you. And like, it's just not going well. And you're just saying, why am I here? Just, just maybe God is saying, do you trust me enough in all of this?" Gideon is facing the battle against the Midianites, 135,000, and his soldiers keep leaving him. Now, when you hear about soldiers leaving, about the chicken method, right? Like this is, this is one of the excuses. Okay, there's other reasons soldiers could leave. One is, you guys remember, we talked about these things. Remember in the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy 20, if you built a home, you can leave. Well, that sounds good. If you planted a vineyard, remember, I got to go take care of my vineyard. Well, that sounds good. If you're engaged to be married, Clayton, you could actually leave and go hang out with your future wife. And (laughs) apparently now, if you're chicken, it's a new method. (laughs) I don't know. I I just say these things because that's not one of the excuses we normally think of. And yet when you go to verse four, it says, Then the Lord said, I'm not done, Gideon. In Judges seven, verse four, he says, There are still too many people. Take them down to the water. Okay, so now here's an interesting method. Okay, so now, you guys ready? That's good, wasn't it? It's my river. They went down to the water. Kevin, if you'll go to Judges 7, that'd be great for me. Judges 7, verse 4. It says, there are too many people. Take them down to the water and I'll test them there for you. For you there. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one can't go with you, he can't go. In verse 5, scripture says this. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog and do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. I kind of feel like we should act this thing out, right? So here you have, Clayton, I'm going to move here for a little bit. So he says, everybody, you're going to come down and if you lap water, okay, I'm going to give you a couple options. Okay, the scripture says, if you're going to separate the people who just take the water, right? And it just says, they lap the water. (laughs) You got to get the tongue effect with his tongue. Like this, right? However, you've got to separate the people that do the same, who kneel down to drink. Okay? So you have the people that are kneeling down, right? They're kneeling down to drink. Or you have the people that are like, (laughs) right? So you get the two points. Are we all on the same page here? I'm Glad we got that one. So then here's what it says. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouths was 300. So there really wasn't a whole lot of people that did the one aspect. The 300, okay? That acted like the dogs. And then the rest of the people, they knelt to drink water. So, Kevin, can you do the math for me here? Uh, 9,700. Okay. So all of a sudden, look at this. You have two groups. Lord, please, please choose the higher number. <laughs> please. <laughs> and in Judges 7, 7, look what it says. It says this. The Lord said to Gideon, I'll deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you, but everyone else is to go home. This is called true test of faith. Man, that's crazy, you guys. Winston Churchill, in referencing uh, World War II, he said, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed to so many by so few. And I think that's a true true statement in a lot of areas of life. It's just like he wants to take this elite group, this small little group to deliver. Do you catch that? To deliver. I think this is incredible. Uh, you with the 300 men who lapped over, they're, they're going to take out the Midianites. The deliverer. Here it is. Gideon serves as that role. These 300 men intervene in this period of judgment when things are not looking good. And he says, I- I'm going to save you using these people. I'm going to save this group using the, the small amount. In verse 8, so Gideon sent all of the Israelites to their tents, but he kept the 300. Hey, all 9,700 of you, uh, you can go home. And it says they <laughs> took the people's provisions and their trumpets, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. I, I'm, just, I'm just in my head, if I'm Gideon, I would think I'm internally freaking out. I'm sorry, how many are they going against? 135,000 people. They probably have 300 cooks. (laughs) You know, like, oh my goodness. So now in the process of God, okay, let's do this. In the process of God testing our faith, look what else he does, okay? In verses 9 through 15a, God will definitely encourage us. God encourages our faith. The challenge is, in all seriousness, is you have to get to this point in order to be encouraged. I think a lot of people, even in the testing, they quit. I think in the testing, they never allow God to get to this point. I don't think they ever get to verse 9 sometimes in their life. I think they still claim I'm the youngest. I'm the weakest of the family. I I think we still live in this posture of God. No. And you know what happens? We actually want the 10,000 back. So we pray for the 10,000 back or we pray for the 32,000. All that God is refining us. It's like, that's what we want back. When the reality is God's about ready to encourage our faith if we get to this point. And I love this journey of Gideon and what he's on. And so this is what he says in verse nine. That night, the Lord said to him, get up and go into the camp. That's the enemy, for I have given it into your hand. Okay. Now this is really cool. This is a promise that, that God has given Gideon. Three times, okay, in Judges 6, 14, Judges verses 16, and Judges 7 uh, seven, three times he promises, he promises Gideon victory. Three times. And at the same time, three signs he gives Gideon. Remember the fire from the rock in, in Judges 6 verse 19? Can you go there, Kevin? So not only does he tell him three times victory is there, okay. But in six nineteen, look at this. This is cool. Keep going on to verse twenty, if you would. It says the angel of God said to him. Remember, the angel of the Lord shows up. Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on the stone, and pour the broth on it. And he did so. Verse twenty-one. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And look what happened. Fire came from the rock. Why? So. The meat can be consumed and the unleavened bread. And then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. So that's, that's one sign. Second sign was the wet fleece in verses 36 and 30, through 38. And then the third sign was the dry fleece. Three signs to show Gideon, I'm in this. Three signs, yeah, this looks chaotic, <laughs> but I'm with you. Three times he tells them and three signs he gives them. And so he has to hold on to this as he enters into this new promise. And the new promise is, I'm going to give you this camp. This is yours. You go in this and it's yours. And then he says in verse 10, because he knows he's still a chicken at heart. He says, but if you're afraid to go to the camp, go with Pura, your servant. You know what he does? Even when we're afraid of walking out by faith, he gives you people to walk with. I love this story. Gideon, I I get it, man. You know, you got 300 of you. (laughs) And you look at those 300 and you're like, God, why'd you pick those 300? (laughs) And he gives them pura and look what they do. It says, but if you're afraid to go to the camp, go with pura, your servant. And I just, I don't know. I think this is a cool picture of how God walks with us when we're freaking out. If you're really honest about faith, this is us right here. You know that, right? God, give me somebody that can walk with me. Give me some finances that can help. Give me an intercessor that will be praying with me. Lord, give me support, whatever, whatever it looks like. God wants to give it to you, but you just got to get to this point of walking by faith. He wants to encourage your leap of faith. But I think what's happened in the American church is we're not even close to taking the leap of faith. We're analyzing what faith even is. It goes back to our statement in Joshua, you guys. We believe in God, right? Uh, We believe in God, but we don't believe God. We've got to get to that point of believing God so that he can send help. What I love is good old Gideon gets a buddy named Pura. And it says, listen to what they say. So you're going into the camp, right? That's where they're headed. And then you'll be strengthened to go to the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Now, when when you, when you think about this, like, is Gideon trained in the military? <laughs> like, this is the best part. Like, one, one guy quoted, Davis quoted Gideon as this. He's no fearless all-pro linebacker. He's no General Patton. He's no John, John Wayne. He's none of the above. And now he's approaching 135,000 soldiers with a guy named Pura. Just doesn't sound like Navy SEAL type things. Uh, you got this? No, you go ahead. No, I got, you know, I mean, I just, you can imagine the dialogue that they're having. And this is really cool. So they go into the camp, right? And it says in verse 12, Now the Midianites and and all of the Quedamites, where did these guys come from? had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Like, you realize what that paints a picture of, right? They're everywhere. When I come down and I see them everywhere and they're camels, he couldn't even count. There's so many camels. It was innumerable as the sand on the seashore. And poor good old Gideon, I should say good old Gideon and poor Pira. They're like, oh, oh my. <laughs> I wish I could hear this dialogue. I can't wait to hear this dialogue in heaven. Like, hey, how'd you convince him? Oh, man, I had to drag him. (laughs) Which one? Both of us, you know? And it says this, though. When Gideon arrived, okay, so when he came to the camp, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. This is my daughter, Selah. You know what this is? This is an eavesdrop. Like, these are people that are like, "Mm, oh, you should have heard what I heard, right? This is what happened with Gideon. Gideon and Pyrrha, they arrived. There's a man telling his friend. It's kind of a weird story, isn't it? To the soldiers, Right are talking about a dream. A man tells a man about a dream. Hey, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp, struck a tent. It doesn't even say all of the tents. It just says a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. So now this is what Gideon, they got their backs turned. They're listening. So a loaf of barley bread comes tumbling down, comes into a tent, it falls, and then it turns the tent upside down and, and everything collapsed. It says, uh, his friend answered, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'd be like, oh, he just said my name. <laughs> Who is that guy? Son of Joash the Israelite, God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. What? All of these guys have been handed over to Gideon. Now, there are some people out there theologically that are like, well, that's so good that dreams are in the Bible, but dreams don't exist today. You know what? You guys need to start reading the scriptures. Dreams and visions are real and active today. Joel two twenty eight. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. Joel 2.28. 20, Kevin, if you'll go to Acts two verse seventeen, Acts two verse seventeen, it says this, and it'll be in the last day, says God. Now let's just make a qualifier. Like, have the last days? Are they gone? Have they happened? Is it done? Then if that's the case, if the last days are still to come, this is still relevant today. And this is what God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So here you have scripture that has not fully come to fruition. True. It's an already, but not yet. God can speak tangibly through this way, but it hasn't come to full fruition. And so as a result, God can speak to us through dreams and visions. Think about this. Uh, There's multiple versions. Solomon in 1 Kings, he had a dream. 1 Kings 3.5. Okay, 1 Kings 3.5. And there's a lot here, so I might not reference all of them. But Solomon had a dream in 1 Kings 3.5. At Gibeon, the Lord answered to Solomon in a dream at night. And God spoke to him in a dream. Ask, what should I give you? So in a dream, I just want to tell you something very practical God could tangibly speak to you and you could actually hear something in that dream. Do not discount dreams. And you're like, man, you should see my dreams. They're crazy. They're so weird. Write them down and see if they contradict the scriptures. If they contradict the scriptures, chuck it out the window. If they don't, guess what? God actually could be speaking to you through a dream. Unbelievers hear possibly from God in dreams. Think about this. Abimelech, Nebuchadnezzar, Joseph's fellow prisoners, Pharaoh, Pilate's wife. All of this, you guys, God can speak to us. Now, dreams can be deceptive as well. That's why you have to go to Scripture to see what does it say. And so a loaf of barley bread comes and falls on a tent. What? And yet that man says, if you'll go back to me, Kevin, with me, uh, in Judges 7, in verses 14, what do you know? says that, that the entire midnight camp is going to be handed over to Gideon. When Gideon heard this in verse 15, this is what you have. And this is where I want to run with in, in the, the final point that Wearsby says. When God tests our faith, He's going to encourage our faith. And then here's the, the fun part. God will, God honors our faith. So in verses 15 through 25, I want to see every person a part of Revived School. I want to see him go through this process of walking by faith. I want to see you get tested by the Lord. I want to see you get encouraged. And as you get encouraged, I want to see the Lord honor your actual walk of faith because you took that leap. I want to see us to get to verse 15 and on. But I think so many times we're freaking out. We're still going through the testing period or maybe we're going through the encouraging period, but we're not going to continue to walk it out. You guys, when we hear these truths, even through a dream, walk out the faith. That's when God begins to show up. And so when he heard the account of the dream and the interpretation, he bowed in worship. He recognized God is in this. And he returned to Israel's camp. He said, get up for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. And if I'm like the 300 guys, I'd be like, what are you talking about? And in verse 16, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside of it. Okay. I'm just going to tell you now there's a torch inside of it, but the pitcher is surrounding the light. Does that make sense? So they have a a trumpet in one and an empty pitcher on this. And these are the 300 men. And how many groups are they divided up? Three. Into three. Okay. Now this is really cool. So here's the game plan. 300 guys, three groups. And we know that they have a trumpet and a pitcher with a light. Was that standard issue equipment? Yeah, man, this is it. They've been practicing this trumpet pitching, pitcher carrying for a long time. I mean, they go to they go to California and work every two weeks. I mean, yeah, they've been trained for this. No, man, this is this is crazy to me. And then he says in verse 17 what a true leader does. He says, watch me and then you do the same. I'm in this. I'm not just going to send you out. I'm with you in the battle. When a leader challenges you guys to go do something and he doesn't do it, that's not a leader. That's not a person. Christ came on earth to show us what it looks like. That's what true leadership does. And Gideon, little good old Gideon is now acting like a general. And he says, when I come to the outpost of the camp, you do as I do. And when I and everyone with me blow our trumpets, you are to blow your trumpets all around the camp. And then you will say for Yahweh and for Gideon. That's a weird line, but I think that's important because Gideon, they said Gideon was going to take over. And Gideon and the hundred men, why? Because there was three groups who were with him, went to the outpost of the camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, about 10 p.m. at night, after the sentries had been stationed. They blew their, all the little camps, right? All the little groups have been stationed. They blew their trumpets. And then here's what they did. They broke and they shattered the pitchers that were in their hands. Why? Because at night they didn't want their light to be exposed. So when they shatter the pitchers, now they can see. It's a cool picture about brokenness. Actually, and I'd love to teach on this for another 30 minutes. Brokenness always leads to shining the light. So they break the pitcher. They've cut the light. And the three companies, they blow their trumpets. They shatter their pitchers. They held their torches that were disclosed in their left hands and their trumpets were in their right hands. And then they shouted a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. This is a true brave heart moment, isn't it? Yeah! Josh Edwards is rubbing off on me. And say so they a sword for Yahweh and for Gideon. And look what it says. Keep going in verse 21. Each Israelite took his position around the camp and the entire Midianite army fled. And they cried out as they ran. And then this is where it gets weird. When Gideon's men blew their three hundred trumpets, the Lord set the swords of each man in the army against each other. You guys you guys realize what's taking place? They begin to kill each other. Gideon's little three hundred, yeah, they were chasing them. In fact, if you go to the map, I mean here you are, here you are in this whole component. But then look what it says. It says that they, they fled to Beth Shittah in the direction of Zerah, uh As far as the border of Abel, (laughs) Meho'ala, near Tabith. Praise the Lord for that one. And so look at this. They're chasing them everywhere. And in the process, they're killing each other. And then this is the best part. They went from 300. But then these men of 300, they called for all these tribes from Naphtali, Asher and Manasseh. And they pursued the Midianites because they're starting to enter into their regions. Does that make sense? So it went from a small crowd to all of a sudden God said, I'll send more. I just wanted to test you, encourage you. And now I'm going to honor your leap of faith. And then it says in verse 24 and verse 25, here you begin to see everything come together. They sent messengers. People from Ephraim were coming into play. Uh, I, there's, just, there's so much here. And then in verse 25, it says they captured Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian, which it means, this is crazy, Raven and Wolf. They're catching the wild animal kings. I mean, you get that. I mean, like, they're cleaning house, you guys. All of this because God said, I want to use this guy right here. I want to use this man as a judge to deliver and save my people. And yeah, he had some help. A man named Pura. Yeah, he had help. 300 folks. Yeah, he had some help. uh, A a loaf of bread. But it's because he walked by faith. I promise you, all of us are Gideons. The question is, is which process are we in right now? And in Hebrews 11, verse six, what does it say? Hebrews 11:6, six, it's, it's awesome. It says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. I promise you, God honored and rewarded Gideon for his leap of faith. All right, guys, that's Judges seven and eight, lesson 16.